Well, hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the Cosmos Christmas podcast. It's very difficult for me to say. This week we have a special guest. It is our friend Andrew Ferris. He is one of the theological nerds here at Coastline, and we asked him to come and talk about probably one of the most theologically nerdy songs in the Christian songbook, which is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. So Michael, Andrew, and I get into the theological complexities, kind of the nuances of this song, just how incredibly beautiful and articulate Charles Wesley is when he writes this hymn. We also talk about George Michael, Wolfpack, Warren Zevon, Christmas traditions with kids, and all of that good stuff. So if you've been enjoying this series about Christmas hymns, then this will definitely be an episode that you enjoy. Stick around for next week as we finish this series off with joy to the world. But until then, we hope you have a Merry Christmas and we will see you next week and every single week after that. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Miss Christmas podcast, <laughs> I think we said we were calling it. What was it, Michael? I think it was just the Cosmos Podcast. The Cosmos Podcast. I think it became Cosmos Christmas. Cosmos Christmas. I'm, I'm an avid listener, so <laughs> Big I fan. definitely know. Yeah, Andrew won a contest to be on the podcast this week. Yes! <laughs> yeah, anyway, uh, welcome back for week three. And I think this was the week that we were all kind of really excited for, especially when Michael and I started planning this podcast series. We were thinking to ourselves, what is basically the one hymn we really want to do. Like we can't do this series without doing this one hymn. And it, it's this week, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And uh, to to help us flesh out all of the theological intricacies and nuances of this behemoth of a hymn, I would say, we have a friend of the show, friend of Coastline, Mr. Andrew Ferris. <laughs> Person who goes to Coastline. Person who goes friend, to... Not just friend of Coastline. <laughs> I mean, I am that too, but... You've preached once. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, that actually lived, levels you up into the friend category. <laughs> Wait, okay, so friend is higher than friend a tender? Friend is higher than a tender, yeah. Oh, I, I was thinking friend would be like an outsider, but like like when you had Tim Morion. Right. That's like a friend of Coastline. Right. Okay, that's go a good Coastline. point. Well, we're all family. That's right. That's a little plug. Fully family. I feel like it's kind of like when, when like... Your wife says, hey, I'm your best friend. And you say, that is right. By default. <laughs> By default, yes. Because you don't want to start a fight with your wife. That's right. <laughs> Maybe, okay. This is this is the third week in a row I've, I've talked about Megan on the podcast when she doesn't listen to this podcast. So it's it's literally... Uh, there's nothing that my wife would do less than listen to me on a podcast. Okay, so you don't, you don't care. Yeah. You understand. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think... I mean, Megan, I think, would say I'm her best friend, but like I don't think she like functionally cares that I'm her best friend. Like It doesn't matter to her. She's like, I guess you're my best friend, but I think she'd rather have another best friend. Hmm. But it's not the same for me. I'm so happy she's my best friend. <laughs> it's definitely Are you okay with it being a little, little like off, off 100%, balance there. A hundred percent. Yeah, that's that's to me the best thing possible is the the one sidedness of it all. Anyway, we are here just talking about hymns. But before we talk about hymns, I want to um, talk to you guys. I had a very specific question for both of you. You both have young children. And Indeed. so I'm interested in how Christmas has changed from when you didn't have young children to now. Like Andrew, this is LaRue's second Christmas. Yeah, so LaRue's two. Yes. Uh, he turned two on November 20th. The um, So he's too young to still really get it, but he really likes the Christmas tree with the lights on it. He's mm -hmm. obsessed with lights in general right now, just like anything with lights. So Christmas has been very fun for him right away because like, and our next door neighbor is like, Griswold style oh, wow. uh, lights <laughs> where it's like um, 
where it's like really, really, really intricate and big lights. So we like every night when he gets home from, or, or every night when we're when, when he gets home, home from work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he takes off his work boots and he walks right outside. Is he good at the mines still? Yeah. Like he's still okay down yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, but um, every night we like walk outside and um and go look at the lights for a while. And he would probably look at them for like an hour. And the first thing he says every morning right now when he wakes up is like Christmas tree, Lucis, uh, Christmas tree, Lucis, which lights. Uh, and he um yeah. So like. He wants to make sure that lights are plugged in right away, uh-huh. all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. So, and he he just had his birthday and kind of started to understand like uh, opening presents for okay. his birthday. So uh, we're hoping that Christmas will be really fun to them. So it's it's just fun. That's the answer. It's fun to have kids with Christmas. Yeah, Michael. Any insight? I, I would also say it's You're fun. Further, yeah, yeah. I would also say it's fun. I would say that it, it it's like Christmas is already busy. You know, we've already got like parties and stuff we're doing for Christmas. When you have kids. It, it becomes like every day there's an activity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's just some something we're doing. And this year, um, we've had a little a little elf come visit us. Sequoia? Um, well, that's another kind of elf. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the one that lives on the shelf. Oh, we've yeah. had that kind of elf come to visit us. And so that has, has got us busy every morning. Um, and uh, that's, hey. been, that's been fun. It's been it's really, fun. really fun, but it's also been been busy so yeah it's busy but 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 fun that's that's like christmas for everybody though busy but fun yes i famously don't have children and i like it that way with christmas because i can just buy presents for megan and myself there's yeah and there's a lot of fun to that too yes and like there brit and i talked about this like when we were married for a long time before we had kids and uh you know there's something to grieve there it's like it's like a really good time it's just oh yeah it's really fun yeah but we have megan's family come over for christmas morning and so there is like a a busyness, like a chaotic energy to Christmas morning that I think that once we have children, it will carry over. Um, yeah. So also I I haven't asked Michael you this question yet. And I want to ask Andrew as well. We've talked a lot about Christmas hymns and like, you know, the churchy Christmas songs. What are some of your favorite Christmas songs that aren't Christmas hymns? Oh, We've already we've already mentioned. Have it. we talked about this? Yeah, well, I, the last one you did, and I came prepared to answer this because I wasn't sure because I had to think about it. But last time you asked. Traditional, yes, 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 yes. Traditional okay, Christmas okay. song like the Nut King Cole, variety, right, 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 Christmas right, hymns, right, yes, okay. and then pop Christmas. Song. So I just, I just, just forgot that I did that. So Andrew, I'll, then I'll, I'll push it to you since you thought about this. Okay, yeah, I did think about this ahead of time, and I landed on certain answers for all three, which yeah, was good because I was feeling like I would otherwise be unsure. Traditional Christmas songs in the Nat King Cole variety. Actually, I have the right answer to this question, not just my favorite. <laughs> the right answer is the entire Charlie Brown Christmas album. It's good songs. Vince Guaraldi Trio. Good songs. That's the best Christmas album of all mm. Christmas albums. Mm. So if you disagree with that, you're wrong. Okay. Number two, um, Christmas Hymn, Hark the Hill Sing. So thanks for Here having we me are. for this one. Here we are. Number three, pop Christmas songs. A little lesser known, but for those of us at Coastline, something you should put into your mix, Christmas in L.A. by Wolfpack. You, okay, so I know you're not a Wolfpack fan, yeah. Hunter, but do you like that song? I do like that song. That's probably the only Wolfpack song I like. But here's my counter to that. There's a killer song called Christmas in L.A. Really? Yes. It's not the same. It's not like a cover. It's 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 um, it's um, like very Warren Zevon-y. It's very like cynical. Warren Zevon is a L.A.-based singer-songwriter from like 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. He died in early 2000s. He's kind of like the master of like wit and very surface level sounding lyrics, but are a little bit more like deep and complex than that. Um, 
if you're listening and you want to listen to Warren Zevon, a great place to start is Warren Zevon's Greatest Hits. They, they're all really, really good. And uh, so the killer song, it meant it has a couple Warren Zevon references, but it's like about Christmas in L.A. I can't spend another Christmas in L.A., another um, Santa in flip-flops. Okay, walking so Voltex Christmas in L.A. is uh, a three minutes of party time. Yeah, it's fun. It's the opposite of that. It's yeah. just a blast. Uh, yeah, it's just, I like... It's just pure fun, high-energy Fun. I like that song because, and Wolfpack does this a lot, where they um, manipulate vocals. I love when people pitch up, pitch down, uh, triple vocals. I just think that's really fun to hear. So Christmas in LA has the a couple times of that. Yeah, so I really, great. I, great I like that Go song. Look it up. Yeah, listen to that song. Listen to the Christmas in LA by The Killers featuring another band called Dawes or Warren Zevon, who I uh, don't know if has any Christmas songs. Wouldn't be surprised if he did. Wouldn't be surprised if he didn't. <laughs> that's kind of where Did you have at. an answer to these, Michael, last time? Um, okay, so I've I've kind of already given a little bit, right? Because I I said that my my favorite uh, carol, like my favorite, oh yeah, 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 you know, sung carol in the church is "O Come All Ye Faithful." We talked about that when that week was here. Hey, can I say something about that really fast? Yes, listening to your episode on that made me really really appreciate that song in a way that I never had before. That's awesome. I I, I was like, whoa, this song is really great. I would always it was always like a. In my in my estimation, it was like a good Christmas song. I was happy to sing it, but it wasn't one of my very favorites. I think you guys catapulted it into my into some of my favorites. That's just the Michael Barker story. Aww. Like he just takes these things and says things about them, and it's like, oh wait, this is way better than I initially thought yeah. because of what no, Michael Barker really said. That's awesome. Yeah, the feedback we've been getting on the podcast has been incredible, and it's ninety nine point nine percent you and point one percent Nikki. <laughs> Whatever. So it's been it's been pretty fun. <laughs> it's been fun. I mean, I for me. Christmas time is such a fun time um, and you, you, because it's so special. It comes around only once a year, right? And so you're not just kind of overplaying these songs. Um, and yet it's so timeless. You know, like we've been singing these songs forever. Yes. And so it's it's a really fun time. I think for me, what I find fun is trying to find like deep meaning mm -hmm. in Christmas time instead of just having it be like we've talked about on the pod so far, sing-songy. So anyway, so I'll, I'll give you the other two. So for me, my favorite kind of just traditional Christmas song is actually Frosty the Snowman. Whoa. <laughs> great, great call. Leon Redbone. Okay, here's why. One, I think it's just awesome that it tells this whole story. Like you listen to the song and now you know the story of Frosty just by listening to the song. Two, it- A story it, we all should know. I don't, of course you should know. <laughs> How magical is it that he puts on this hat and he comes to life? It's just amazing. Okay, but what? Here's here's why. Really, it's because it was the one song that my daughter Mylan used oh. to ask me to sing to her every night, oh, not just in really Christmas sweet. time, like all oh. year long. Like, like it's August would, she, and we're singing this. So song. I sing her one song every night, and she, when she was like, able to tell me what song she wanted. It was always frosty, frosty, frosty every single night. And it just, you know, it just brings up heartwarming feelings for me. That's very so that's, that's, really awesome. that's number one. Number two is a tie. It's a tie between last Christmas and simply having a wonderful Christmas time. They're just, they're both just so like 80s and poppy and awesome. I, it just brings brings me right to Christmas every time I hear it. So. I'm really starting to appreciate last Christmas, this Christmas time. Like I, I, I think every year you kind of go through like, Oh, I like this Christmas song a lot this year. I, I've heard Last Christmas several times, and I, I think George Michael also just kind of stands in a category on his own, just uh, in terms of like 80s heartthrob musicians. He had the style and he had the substance. 
And we could do a whole George Michael podcast if we wanted. I mean, I would like that. Nikki would really like that as well. But I, I really love Last Christmas this time around for sure. Yeah. Great picks. Great picks. Okay. Um, Andrew, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about Mary Did You Know. Um, <laughs> next week. Sean put you up to this. Huh? Next week on the podcast, we have our mutual friend, Mary Beth, joining us. Great. And... I know she has opinions about Mary, did you know? I know you also do as well. In fact, I think you probably, you two are the only two who have opinions about this song at all. Yeah. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm curious as to maybe just give the people, the listeners, just your thoughts on that song. Well, my guess is that Mary Beth and I have the opposite opinion because Mary Beth and I tend to have the opposite opinion <laughs> of things. Um, <clears throat> but Mary Beth, uh, Mary, Mary Beth, uh, Mary, did you know? Mary Beth, Mary Beth did, did you, you know? know? Yeah. <laughs> Mary, did you know is terrible. It is a terrible, <laughs> terrible song. Um, I, I hate almost everything about it. <laughs> uh, uh, it is, it, this, the construction of the song, first of all, is like this overdramatic flair that is such a piece of its era and time that I, when did that that it, song I think come it out? ages so poorly. Uh, like, um, uh, you know, and with the repeated Mary Did You Know question, it's it's just built for sort of like, Sort of like it, what it feels built for is um, church special music. Did I don't? Did you grow up with special music, Michael? Oh yeah, and yeah, I know so, exactly so sort what of you like mean, a, buddy. A performative song in the midst of the service where you get some good singer up there and do that, and um, and there's just um, yeah, and then and then the, the thing I always think is the answer to the question of the song is no. She didn't know, right? but she knew some things, right? But like, it goes to these very specific references to what Jesus oh. was going to do. Oh, okay, you know, I thought you said, so, did she like? Did she know like the specialty of the child inside of her? Yeah, and now I was like, definitely come on, that. man, you know more yeah, than anybody. The answer is yes yeah. to that. But then it's like, Mary, did you know that you know your baby would someday walk on water? No, she didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't know. Either. Okay, now we. Of can... course, that's not actually the point of the song, and I get that, but. Um, but yeah, I uh, I despise that song. Unless, and let me throw a wrench in the argument. And this is kind of that, you know, copyrighted Hunter Babcock rigorous logic I put on these songs. <laughs> when do you think this uh, narrator of the song is asking her this question? Maybe it's long after Jesus had died and resurrected. Well, but the, the question, the, the verbal tense of the question, right? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would someday walk on water? So the, the idea is that like, did you know back then that he would someday do this thing? So, and the answer is no. No, but <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. I think there's something like high school graduation-y about it. Like when the parents looking at the kid like, oh man, I didn't know you'd be valedictorian, but like here we are. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. I don't I don't think it's as bad as Andrew says it is. So is Michael? Mary, did you know like the vitamin C of like the <laughs> yes. Bible? Like as we go. It is 100%. 100%. Well, thank you, Andrew, for, for illuminating us with that um, scalding hot take. I'm very eager to hear Mary Beth's thoughts. Um, I, I like the song. I, I went on records in the first episode saying I think it's a fine song. I don't really have strong opinions beyond that. But what I do have strong opinions on is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Now, Andrew, it's a very fun full circle moment to have you here. Um, like I said, Michael and I have been really excited about this, but I've known you for a long time and you were the first person who kind of turned me on to this Christmas song being a incredibly beautiful yet dense theological song. And so what is your relationship with this song? Like when growing up, was this something you were studying or was it when you got to seminary? Like what, what 
when did this song start to captivate both your mind and your heart in a way that has made you say like, this is the song? Yeah, I actually don't know the answer to that question, but uh, it certainly wasn't, wouldn't have been before college for me. Um, Cause I, I just didn't really think about almost any hymn before that. I think I just, I didn't grow up singing hymns in church. So I didn't, I mean, I'm sure we sang this song at Christmas time, but right. I just didn't know how to sing a hymn, I think. And so as I kind of got to, um, got to, point where other people introduced him singing to me that 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 became something like that so at some point it probably came up and i just started noticing and i think at some point i started noticing all, all of the christmas songs and just like yeah how good so many of them are that have especially because christmas has been going on excuse me for a long time uh and so um and so the ones that have made it this far are a lot of them are the ones that have risen to the top right yes. There's probably a lot of bad songs too yes. but the ones that have stuck out for for you know, you guys talked about Okoma Come Emmanuel, was it like the eighth century or something like yes. that? Right. So like these songs uh are really good if they're making it this long, right? <laughs> yeah. This song we said, uh, I think Charles Wesley wrote this in the seventeen sixties yeah. or something. So um yeah, so uh so anyway, so I don't know exactly when that started, but what I know that happened for me is that when I started to to pay attention to the words in this song. Uh, which is, it's hard to do with almost anything you grew up with, right? Because I'm sure I heard it a million times before I ever paid attention to it. And I started to kind of like like zoom in and go like, whoa, like what is this saying? I was like, oh my goodness. It is, it is, there is just so much here. Mm-hmm. I was actually thinking about this before we did this. Like, how are we going to talk about this song? Yeah, right. <laughs> There's too much to say. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> yeah. And um, so, yeah. So I, I don't know what it, what it was that did that. I, I might have been when I started paying attention to Charles Wesley in general, mm-hmm. just kind of noticing, oh, he's the, the dude. You know? Yeah, he's so. the dude. Famous, famous family, the Wesleys are. Yep. Yeah. We can talk all about that. Michael, what about you? When did this song kind of start <laughs> captivating you? Yeah, uh, I think this song for me was always uh, just kind of in that sing-songy Christmas carol space for me for a long time. Yep. Um, in fact, I don't think it actually kind of... Um, rose to the to the top per se um until i was in grad school um at by at talbot and i was um i i was tasked with kind of learning about john wesley and as i was studying as i was reading a ton of books on john wesley famous evangelist charles's brother i learned that charles had written this song and i just thought oh how interesting that is i'm studying this dude Mm -hmm. and yet his brother wrote this this famous Christmas carol that we all know. So then I started looking into Charles and was like, oh my gosh, Charles is is like, you know, the worship leader before there were worship leaders. Like <laughs> yeah. he's like the dude, you know. Ar- ar- arguably the greatest hymn writer in the history of the church, right? Like I, I think like certainly one of the most prolific, if not the most prolific. And he has there's a bunch of songs in his catalog that have stuck for a long time. Yeah. Like Christ the Lord is risen today. Yeah. Over a thousand tongues to sing. Come now long expected Jesus. Jesus. Yep. Yeah. Love yep. divine, all love's excelling, which yep. we, I don't think we sing, but that's another one. That's, there's a bunch of his songs that have, have stuck around for a right. long time. And, 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 and they're so rich. So th- yeah. And if you're listening to this right now, there's a great, I'm trying to figure out, remember what it's called, but there's a record that came out like five or 10 years ago where a bunch of like contemporary Christian artists do Charles Wesley's hymns. Um, like Chris, the guy from Jesus Culture does Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, and it's really good. That's a, that is a fantastic song. Um, that was one of his first hymns. Really? Yep. The sixth stanza of that song is the first line he ever wrote for any hymn, and it is glory to God and praise and love be ever, ever given. And that is, 
very paradigmatic of all of Charles Wesley's hymns. Praise and glory to God and love. Those are the two biggest themes you'll find in the hymns of Charles Wesley. And they are on full display in Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which I think is hysterical. And Michael, I feel like I cut you off a little bit. No, you didn't cut me off. I just, <laughs> I pretty much got to the end. I, I think after studying John Wesley, it, I was, I was actually kind of even more enamored mm -hmm. as a worship leader with Charles. And his whole family is amazing, like you said, Hunter. But, and so as I um, began singing in Christmas time, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, I think I, I, I began to see some of the depths of his writings yeah. and some of the depths of theology um, in, in the midst of his writing. And, and I think there's even a question that comes from this of, um, you know, where do songs like this fit within the modern church today? Mm. Songs with this deep, um, theological message less less than maybe like a you know a repeating refrain that's more kind of on the emotionally connecting with Jesus side of things. Um, there's a question there that I don't know if we're going to answer it today, but I, I think it does answer it asks that question. It begs that question: Where does deep theological songs fit within our repertoire today? So I do think that one of the challenges with this song actually is that. Um, it, it is doing something really different than a lot of what uh, contemporary worship songs do, and hymns in general do something really different as a, as a style. Um, and it, it might be worth noting, too, that gospel music does something really different than a lot of contemporary yeah. worship music does as well. And so that if you sort of start to think broadly about genre as it relates to sort of um, aesthetic preference in music and then sort of like what songs are trying to accomplish um, differently in different genres... Then, um, then maybe it, it brings up a kind of a wider question of how we train people to approach different riches that are in our songbooks, so to speak, um, from all kinds of different elements of areas of the church, uh, which would be like hymn writers of old, um, brothers and sisters who are in maybe a different uh, like ethnic setting than we're in a lot of times for some musical styles. Like music is just so tied to culture, yeah. That um, that you know that and theology that, uh, and, and all that, that like, I, I think that they just reflect very different things. So it's not too surprising when you think about what else is happening musically and culturally, that sort of contemporary worship as we know it came out of the 1960s in California, right? Like mm -hmm. essentially that's where it finds its birth, uh, that, that kind of, that kind of singing happens. And so when you think of what else is going on at that time, what kind of music's being produced there, like it makes sense and that's fine. That's great. That's like, it's a part of culture. So, but I do think what you're getting at is right, Michael, which is that like, it sort of takes some different muscles to sing hymns like this. Mm. Um, and so, I, I mean, I, you have the job of actually figuring <laughs> out, like, how do you help people develop all those muscles, you know? Yeah, which is tough. I mean, yeah. I, I think, um, you know, it takes a lot of creativity to to bring modern, to bring hymns into the modern setting um, in a way that uh, doesn't throw people off or or kind of distract Um because I think for for someone who's just rolling in off the street when they hear hymns, that can be a real a real kind of shocking moment um, get coming into the church. Whereas um, for us who have been in the church, who have been a part of more um, spaces where hymns are being sung regularly, it's not as shocking. Um, and yet, um, we want to be people who are both engaging fully our mind in worship, loving God with all of our mind, and yet also loving God with all of our affect, our emotion, our, our heart. And 
Um, and, and I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive. I think that you can sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing with all of your heart. Um, I also think you can sing songs like Do It Again with all of your mind. Um, mm. uh, I, I think both are true. I just think both kind of emphasize maybe one side over the other, and we want to be people who do all, all of the above. So the way that I've thought about this is that <clears throat> I think that different um, genres and styles of songs are just easier or harder for certain people to access than others. Um, so I, I think of myself here as an example. I want to be, uh, you know, you, Michael, you're my worship leader most times that I sing anymore, right? So I want to be easily led by you. And so I trust you. You're a godly person who I'm really happy to have as a worship leader. And so when you pick a song, my baseline um, response to that is to, try to follow where you're leading and trust you to, to take me there and worship essentially. Um, what I'll say is that um, there are songs that are easier and harder for me to do that with. Um, and a lot of those are related to this. So for example, what you just said about mind and heart, this song for me takes me straight to my heart. It goes <laughs> through my brain straight to my heart. I actually think of what Janine said when she and I got to teach together at church, which was, that sort of the mind is the entryway to the heart. And so you can't actually get to your heart apart from your mind. Um, and for me, I can I can sing this song and any of the songs that you guys have talked about on this podcast so far, um, and it is easy for me. It's, mm. I'm, I'm very easily led to that place. Um, now, uh, the ending bridge on Do It Again is awesome, and so that's easy for me too. <laughs> um, but... Um, <clears throat> But like there are plenty of songs that you sing that are hard for me, that I have to work harder to access them, and I have to like dig in a little bit and pay attention. But I want to, but I trust you, so I want to go where you're taking me. Mm. Um, and um, and then I would say like to take this to another cultural expression, right? Like gospel music is actually a musical style that I love, but I'm not familiar with singing that in those structures. And there's a lot of things that happen in gospel music that when I'm in a setting there, like some of the call and response and some of that, that that's hard for me at a musical level. And my my guess is that for anybody sitting in our seats at church, there are going to be different kinds of songs that are easy and hard for them based on their age, their culture, what they grew up with, what they didn't grow up with, their Bible knowledge, all kinds of stuff like that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's the way that I think about this and the way I think about him singing in general is that like, um, is that for different people are going to access that. And so I love when we mix in something that's different sometimes because I'm the one who loves the song, but sometimes because I know somebody else is the one who loves the song. Mm. Yeah. And we're actually trying to love everybody at the show. It's you know? good. Yeah, it's true. That's great. What a fun little conversation. And it's only going to get better because we are going to listen to Hark the Herald oh, gosh, Angels I just saw sing. how long we've been talking for already. I'm it's not so really how long we've been talking okay, for. Okay, great. It's a little bit less than that, but not much. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, go. So I don't know what version you guys want to hear. And I'm, I'm going to throw a really interesting thought into the conversation i think that chris tomlin's version is the best i don't i don't know it i don't think so play that one it's from do you know that one i'm talking about i do i, I feel it. like it's the yeah. only one that isn't so sing-songy i think it kind of lets the song do what the song needs to do it doesn't it really does not em embellish it. it doesn't like do like i think so often speaking of like the hymn to contemporary conversation so many christian bands take hymns and they try to do something really interesting with them, change the time signature, change the melody, add a chorus, add a bridge. And sometimes it works really well. Like I think of like Dustin Kensrue's Rock of Ages. He puts it in 4-4 and makes a chorus and it's great. But like other bands will take this song and it'll be like a sing-song folky thing with like a banjo and a, you know, a washboard. And yeah. it's like that doesn't work for 
really, I think anybody. So I think this song, this version of this song, I think this song just works. And so we'll play Chris Tomlin's Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and then we will discuss it. pretty good version i loved that i'd never heard it that's really that's everything i'm looking for from that song which is just let the melody be the melody i like that you could hear the church singing with it yeah it just feels like congregational in a great way Mm -hmm. 
The melody uh, is Felix Mendelssohn. Yep. Uh, a 19th century composer, romantic composer. Um, Very so, romantic. So, yeah. So this, uh, so, and this is like, uh, maybe people don't know this about hymns, but like lyrics and tunes are separate usually. So people didn't necessarily write them both. So Wesley would have written all of his 6,000 or 10,000 hymns or whatever, written the lyrics down, and then people often come mm-hmm. and come and put tunes to them. And then often in old hymn books too, like there's multiple, yeah, multiple tunes that end up getting stung and then one of them sticks. Um, mm-hmm. And so the Mendelssohn one that stuck is, uh, it's great. I love it. Yeah. It's, Michael, it's, just, it's a really pretty melody. Michael came in yesterday. He's like, do you know what other song Felix Mendelssohn wrote? And it was that the melody you were just trying to, yeah, that was what to. I was yeah. trying to, yeah. Oh. So he, so he wrote, um, that the wedding march. So when you said romantic, I was like, very romantic. romantic. Yes. He wrote that for a Midsummer Night's Dream. Um, for the the play, for the Shakespeare huh. play, um, and so he's not like a nobody, you know. He's like, a, <laughs> oh no, he's a big deal, a big deal, yeah. huge deal. In fact, his sister was a big deal too. She she wrote a ton of yep. awesome songs as well. But yeah, it's actually really interesting what you were saying, um, Andrew. Is that that this song was actually written first? It was penned in 1739 um, by Charles Wesley, but that that tune was actually not not put to that song it was sung to other tunes and then finally it was it was kind of solidified in 1856 when uh william cummings joined that the felix mandelson tune which is called it's uh vaterland in deinen gawen great yeah that's totally how you pronounce it for sure Vaterland. german presumably yeah it's, yeah it's german so um uh, but yeah, so and that that song, Felix Mendelssohn's song, was actually written to commemorate the printing press, the Gutenberg printing press. That's why that <laughs> really? song was made. Yeah, that's why the the tune that we sing for Hark the Herald Angels was first written for to commemorate Gutenberg. There's something really funny about that too, and we probably won't get into kind of all of the ins and outs of Charles Wesley, but as a prolific hymn writer, he wrote so many hymns for very mundane occasions. Like he has a hymn for 1756. He's like, we're just going to write a hymn about the year 1756. Is that true? Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I would never lie to you, Andrew. Um, it, uh, he also has a hymn for like an earthquake. Like when there was an earthquake, a hymn for, um, an invasion, like we're going to get invaded. Was there an earthquake? The wind, it's, we're recording this on a rainy day and the wind just blew, literally blew the doors open. I've never seen Michael look so scared. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was an earthquake at first. I yeah. thought it was an earthquake too. I was Hold about to like hop underneath the couch or something. Oh my gosh. The look on your face. That's funny. <laughs> I wish, I wish we filmed <laughs> these. That was great. Anyway. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, Charles Wesley would have written a hymn for the earthquake we just had <laughs> or the, <laughs> the rainy day we just had. Anyway, all I have to say, it's, it's really fascinating to me that he, it, he does do these like hymns of everyday life and a, a melody for something that we certainly take for granted, which is printed paper. Um, they, they married <laughs> these cool. two things together to just make this incredibly beautiful, incredibly rich hymn. Uh, just some, what are some reflections we have just kind of listening and, and thinking about this song? So uh, my, the first thing I would say is that Sean um, two or three weeks ago when he was on, he he mentioned this song and he was talking about how sometimes we just sing it so fast that we yeah. we lose so much of it. We can't just can't process all that we're saying. And so uh, about that Chris Tomlin version, I love just how slow the tempo is mm-hmm. so that you can really just sit in the words and he's he leaves space in between each stanza um or um each verse actually. 
um, so that you can kind of sit with the verse for a little bit, that you sit with the weight of what you've just said mm-hmm. before you move on to the next piece. Um, one thing about this song um, on a separate note that I just, I really, really love is when you go through the whole song, you see tons of the names of God being mentioned. Oh, that's cool. I didn't even notice that. So like the first one you you see is you see King, you see Lord, you see Prince of Peace in there, Everlasting Lord, uh, Desire of Nations, which is from Haggai 2.7, which says, and I will shake all the nations and the desire of nations shall come. I, I have many thoughts on that on that stanza. I texted Hunter ahead of time and said, we have to talk about the fourth stanza because we never sing it, but it's it's an unbelievable piece of songwriting. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bruise the serpent's heed. Yep. And then you've got incarnate <laughs> deity. Yeah. Oh, you've yeah. You've got Emmanuel. And then lastly, this one I think is really cool because this one's the one that I think would probably be the most confusing. The son of righteousness. S-U-N. S-U-N, yeah. right? I've actually always kind of thought of it as S-O-N. It's not. It's son as S-U-N. Um, and it comes out of Malachi 4.2. Um, which says, but for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And that's that healing in its wings is also heard. Yeah, in awesome. the, in the song. yeah so that's the, the that's the third stanza. Hail the heavenly prince, hail the heaven born prince of peace, hail the son of righteousness, light and life, John 1 reference, to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Yep. And so he, he weaves together prince of peace from Isaiah chapter 9. Mm hmm. Light and life, which John one says the the, the word became flesh, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I was uh, he was uh, life. Uh, excuse me, light and the life was uh, light was life of men. Life and the life was light of men. Sorry, uh, <laughs> that's confusing. Tongue twister. Anyway, light and life to all he brings, and then um, risen with healing in his wings. Was back to the Malachi reference. Yep. And it's I mean this this there are so many overt scripture references in this hymn. It is so <laughs> thick with the Bible. Yep. Yeah, and I love that son of righteousness because it's it's actually this picture of of um, kind of the sun um, rising, mm. um, and as yeah. the sun is rising, it's this new dawn over humanity. As Christ comes, He's spreading His wings over the entire earth and just cleansing the entire earth um, from sin and brokenness and, and mending all all things. And so this son of righteousness, it's actually the idea that that um, that kind of a, a sunrise is attributed to the Messiah is found throughout scripture. You see it in Isaiah 60, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. You see it in 2 Samuel uh, 23, in Habakkuk 3, 4, in Luke 1. And so, um, so this, this is not an uncommon idea that, that the Messiah is kind of being compared to the rising sun. So when you sing that now, you can sing it with that context of the Messiah being the mm-hmm. son of righteousness. And I love the notion that, that the son of righteousness passage is Malachi 4.2, which is the last chapter of the Old Testament as we yeah. have it. So, uh, oh, so, interesting. so uh, right, right, there's this promise right at the end of Malachi, which is that the son of righteousness is going to come with healing in his wings. Um, and then he does, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then he does. He actually comes with healing in his wings. And to the point that you guys have been making throughout the last couple episodes, um, he does that for real. The kingdom is here. And then we also look forward to yeah. the final fulfillment of that. And I think this this continuing notion that Advent is a moment for us of um, hope for the future, uh, that we look back to what God's done before. And that's also about our expectation that he's, Jesus is going to come again. Um, I think... Um, it is a unique moment to do that, and I, that's the perfect reference to it. The, um, 
the notion and the notion of um, with healing in his wings, I, I just think is so beautiful. The notion that that when the Messiah comes, he's going to come with healing and he's going to mm. come with light and life. John one, he's going to come um, and bring all of this. It reminds me of Peter's sermon, I think in Acts three, um, where he says um, that times of refreshing will come. Believe that times of refreshing will come. What's your guys' favorite line, like single or couplet? Okay, so mine is from the fourth verse. Can we go do that? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so here's what I really love about this hymn on the whole. Okay, what I really love uh, about it is that it it um, combines. It is thick with biblical reference, but it is instead of just sort of um, my least favorite kind of Christmas songs are just ones that just recite the story but don't really reflect on it at all. But this is the opposite. It is taking all of these passages and all of these moments from Scripture, and then it is pulling you pulling them all together in this like insane way to where it's actually um, sort of theologically and practically reflecting Mm -hmm. back on what has happened and what Jesus did. So it's Mm -hmm. not just Jesus is born and he's fully God and fully man. And that's great. It's like, here's how that actually has shaped and changed everything about our existence and being and lives and our worship of the Lord. And he gets all the glory because of it. Mm. Um, So the fourth stanza, uh, which I will read because we don't always sing it as much. Um, is come desire of nations come fix in us thy humble home rise the woman's conquering seed bruise in us the serpent's head now display thy saving power ruin nature now restore now in mystic union join thine to ours and ours to thine mm-hmm. uh, it's helpful when you sing a hymn to know that each stanza is its own kind of stand typically what's happening right is the first stanza of a hymn will introduce a, a theme and then each stanza throughout that will then twist that and turn it and give you a different look at sort of one element of that and kind of be its own little unit of thought. Um, and so this one, um, Desire of Nations, Michael, you referenced Haggai 2.7, which I, just to be clear, I did not know that reference until I looked it up looking at this, right? Um, you guys but, don't know Haggai? Yeah, so, so but Haggai <laughs> is a post-exilic <laughs> prophet. So um, after the people get taken off to Babylon, right, they come back uh, ultimately to the land. Um, they're freed from exile. And when they do, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel, the governor all go back and hag and they go and rebuild the temple. Um, and Haggai is a prophet talking to them, uh, talking to the people of Israel about the rebuilt temple. Um, after Babylon had destroyed the temple, they go to rebuild the temple and Haggai in so many words says to them, um, he says in Haggai chapter two, he says, Hey, um, those of you who remember the old temple, are probably very disappointed right now as we rebuild this new temple because it's just not even close to as great as Solomon's. Solomon's temple was full of gold and all this amazing ornate everything, right? So Haggai tells them that and says, and says, but he says, though you're disappointed now, the spirit is still in your midst. That's the language he uses. The spirit is still in your midst and he's still working. And so keep going, faithfully keep rebuilding the temple and trust that one day all of the treasure of the nations, the desire of nations in the King James Version is the exact quote, which Charles Leslie would have been reading. Um, and it's going to, and it's going to fill the temple again. And so when you look at these, this line, come desire of nations, come, it's a plea to Jesus to come, right? Um, and to fix in us thy humble home. So whereas Haggai's referencing the temple being fixed up, um, Wesley takes that, this reference, which he has every New Testament right to do and says, fix in us thy humble home, which is what the temple is. It's a home for God, right? So he's saying, come desire of nations, come fulfill this prophecy of Haggai that this is going to happen and fix in us, fix the temple of me essentially, Mm -hmm. right? That's what I want you to do, Lord, is fix me up. Um, And, 
And so he then expands on that point by saying, rise, the woman's conquering seed, reference to the promise in Genesis that Mm -hmm. the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. So he says, rise, the woman's conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head, which is a reference to, to sin and Satan in us. And so Wesley takes this idea and says, when Jesus comes, he, the true temple, uh, who said he would uh, destroy his body and raise in three days, and then fills us. Uh, we are also temples, right, uh, so to speak, of the Holy Spirit. Um, and he fills in us, and the way that he fixes the temple of us is by his own power, he crushes Satan's work in our hearts, essentially. And that's what it means when Jesus comes to us, that he actually has given us the power, met us in his grace, and done that. And so then he continues, now display thy saving power, ruin nature, now restore, now in mystic union join nine to ours and ours to thine. So mm-hmm. the way that he crushes the serpent's head in us is by joining his own his own self mm-hmm. to ourselves. Mystically. Filling us. <laughs> Mystically. Yeah, filling us with the presence of, of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to me, that is like, an incredibly beautiful and insanely thoughtful meditation on Haggai 2. He takes this reference and says, like, here's the way Jesus actually fulfills this old prophecy, and he does it in a very personal way, which is to you and to me by crushing sin in us and crushing Satan's work, and we now, because of Jesus coming to us, um, uh, and as we wait for him to return, because of Jesus coming to us, we actually have the, the un, uh, union with Christ, as, as Paul will say, we are in Christ and he's in us. Oh, so, good. so that's my answer. That was great. I don't know if you said enough about it. Yeah, I, I freaked <laughs> out when I put this. I had never noticed this until you asked me to be on the pod, and I was looking yeah. it over, you know. But and I like, I was like, oh my gosh, like there's so much here. It's nuts, and it's one of those things where you read it, and I, I think I was I was talking about about this at youth group the other week. Um, how like, and this is this is so so terrible of me. Um, I watched like the Beatles documentary on Disney Plus. I'm only like a half hour and I really want to watch the whole thing. <laughs> but you watch them like write these songs and like they're playing like Fender guitars. And I'm like, oh, that's cute. They had Fenders back then. Like just for some reason, I can't conceptualize like things like that standing the test of time. And so I look back on Charles Wesley. And I'm like, oh, that's cute. Like he knew theology. But like he knew it. Yeah. Like this is insane. Yeah. Like we look back, I think on hymns and it's like, Oh, it's just a bunch of old guys constructing these like high flute and sentences with like hark and thou and thee and thou. And we just, then we just dismiss it as like old. But if you sit there and you parse out what's actually happening, this will blow your mind. Yeah. yeah and it's not just theology, right? It's like the daily existence of what it means to be Andrew is to seek to walk with the Lord and to overcome sin and to, um, to live in his grace more fully. And so when I sing this song, what comes to me is like, oh my gosh, the, God made a promise to me and he really has joined me with him mm. in mystic union. And he's done that. And now uh, I and thou and thou and mine, right? Like the, like the, he actually is rebuilding the temple. He's fixing in me his humble home. And I walk, I'll walk out of this podcast recording thinking again about how, and if we sang this on a Sunday, right? I'd be thinking again about how, the Lord is doing deep work in the in my heart and in my home, and so it's so it's so practical in that respect. It's not. And Wesley, you know, he's a practical guy. He's a method, he's the founder of Methodism. He's, he wanted people to walk in holiness and love for one another, um, and that's the way the context of these being sung. It's it's not enough for it to live in the world of theology and headspace. Like the idea is like Jesus has done something amazing in me, yeah, and and that's, good. that's the beauty of it. Yeah, that's really good. I love the, kind of the let's take this from kind of the ethereal I, kind of idealistic place to to an actual personal place. Um, so 
Can I answer my? Yeah, I want to hear both of your favorite lines. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so first of all, I just want to remind everyone that these the lyrics I'm about to mention they're not they're actually not in the final version of the song. They got cut. They got cut. There's actually kind of there's been multiple, but basically three iterations of the song. Okay. 1739 was Charles Wesley's version. Um, 1758. George Whitfield, who was a friend of the Wesleys, who was also a famous evangelist, came to America, did a lot of... He was like a, one of their ministry partners. Ministry partners. He was the one who actually changed uh, the who who changed the, the opening lyrics from Hark, How the Welkin Rings. And that's <laughs> which just... Means sky. Which Clouds, means sky. Which means sky or, or heavens, yeah. right? Um, and he changed it to Hark, the Herald Angels Sing. Okay, and then there's the final version, which is what we generally sing. And we actually have all three versions in front of us here so we can see the differences. But all this to say, the, ver- the, the, the line that I'm going to mention, I had never heard, I had never read until yesterday. And I think it has, it has become the crown of this it. song for I me. I, I really want to hear what you're going to say. Okay, so remember, 1739, this was written, okay? And he, and and. Being a spiritual formation guy, having gotten my degree in spiritual formation, okay, from Talbot, um, for me, I, I really care a ton about the experience of what you were just talking about, Andrew, which is how do we go from this place of knowing about God to knowing God? And how do we answer um, uh, the question of how do we grow in him? That's just really important to me. And what does that look like? And I think that this last verse kind of speaks to this. It says this, Adam's likeness. Oh, this is so good. Yeah. Adam's likeness, Lord efface, meaning- um, uh, Destroy. Destroy, okay? Adam's likeness, Lord destroy, efface. Stamp thy image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Let us thee- Though lost, regain thee, the life, the inner man. Oh, to all thyself impart, formed in each believing heart. And I, I think those lyrics are crazy good. <laughs> it's kind of this image of, Lord, um, what you're doing in me is you're erasing Adam. You're erasing the, the likeness of Adam from me. The, the work that Adam did to, to separate us, is now being being washed away. And instead, what's being stamped there is not Michael. It's not a new image of Michael. It's actually the image of God being stamped in its place. Um, and even just this image of second Adam, Christ being the second Adam, being Romans the- Romans 5 reference. Yeah. Romans 5 reference. The, the, um, the fulfillment of what Adam was, Christ is that. And then I love this, just the, the oh, to, to all thyself impart- formed in each believing heart. Hmm. I love that concept that God is forming us into his own image. And that is the answer of what growth is. It's not something I can do. It's not something I can, I can kind of create in myself. It's actually the work of God stamping himself on me. Um, uh, it's his imputed righteousness onto me. That's the only way that I can be formed and be good. That's the only way I can, I can, anything good can come from me. So anyway, I love that, that, that stanza. I think both of those and a lot of what happens in the rest of the hymn all is sort of a extended meditation on the very first verse of the hymn, right? Which yeah. is, hark, how all, uh, hark the hill angels sing, glory to the newborn king. 
peace on earth and mercy mild, which means just like gracious mercy, right? Mm. Peace on earth, mercy mild, and then what? God and sinners reconciled. And so almost everything that flows from there is the notion of like Jesus gets all the glory because of this thing he did in the birth of Christ, which is God and sinners reconciled. So good. And it just extends out this idea of like, well, what does it mean that God and sinners are reconciled? Mm -hmm. And the whole rest of the hymn takes us into how the birth of Christ and the reconciliation of God and man connect, um, including that verse that you just laid out. What's your answer, Hunter? For me... It's nice to be asked this once. No one really ever. I kind of just sit here and. Michael, why don't you talk some more, actually? <laughs> why don't you talk some more, Andrew? Jeez. Anyway. Never uh, a problem for me. For me. Yeah. For neither of us either. I'm like, <laughs> when I asked Andrew to be on the podcast, I was like, maybe we should not do this because him and I can talk. So I'll keep it. I'll keep it. Um, I'll, I'll keep it very brief which is something I've never said before. Um, I really love Born That Men No More May yeah. Die. Oh, hold on. My headphones just got jacked up. Anyway, Born That Man, No More May Die. I really like that line because it does something that I think we have all hit on very, very extensively in this, but just like to name it. In in theology, there's this idea of inaugurated eschatology, Mm -hmm. this idea of the already not yet. But what we've all been discussing is this idea of inaugurated sanctification, which began when Jesus was born. So it happened. And now it is happening. We are being sanctified. Correct. So it has already happened. You are already that version of Michael, you know, as Jesus and Andrew as well, like we're talking about, you know, the Adam's already been effaced in you, so to speak, but it also still happens, right? Right. As we sit here today and record, it's happened, but as we leave, it is still happening. Um, And so to me, born is a finite moment Mm. and it's the beginning that man no more may die, which is that eternal life that we speak about in church. And so I think that this hymn more than anything really nails the inaugurated quality, the inaugurated eschatology, inaugurated sanctification, whatever, the already not yet nature of Christ's birth, which him being born is essentially the culmination. It's the beginning of the culmination of God's ultimate plan for humanity. And it happens, but then it continues to happen. And that's kind of what we've been talking about. Weirdly enough, the theme of these hymns are all the second Christmas, mm. the one to come, yep. which again is something that we anticipate and something we hope for. So that, so I like that line, uh, born that man, no more may die, born to raise sons of earth, born to give them second birth, just from a songwriting standpoint, yeah, the triple born when there he, is really good. when it's he good. probably sat down and wrote that and he said, I can keep born in all three of those lines, but I can also make them all rhyme. Yeah. He must've felt like he just dunked on every other songwriter well, in the world. Born that they may not die, born to raise sons born to give them second birth yeah like, is he's like playing with the concept of birth and rebirth and yeah and birth and death and it is it is a moment in the like songs that we sing of like sheer lyric writing brilliance it's it is it, it is, is yeah. crazy it is crazy totally. and again what we've been talking about in in the the hymn writing class of songs like it's easy i feel like it's actually easier in hymns we're not writing hymns but back then like to convey these deep theological messages but they just go over people's heads and and here we have a very awesome example of a a hymn that doesn't do that it hits you in the heart and it hits you in the head you can get it you can grasp it and you can feel it and it's it's a song that you meditate on it's a song that invites you deeper into the reality of christmas i love it it would be interesting to, to teach like the the doctrine of salvation essentially 
and you just use this as the sort yeah. of jumping off point for everything. Just like take people through this hymn and, and let it let it be the way. I never thought about that before, but it'd be, be a cool way to do it. I bet they did that in uh, the Wesleyan tradition. Oh, I bet they did. Yeah. yeah, I bet they did that in the Wesleyan tradition. I went to Point Loma for two years. So I took a, a couple Wesleyan tradition classes and stuff. So this is, it cool. was really funny to talk to Michael yesterday. We were kind of just like exchanging John Wesley knowledge and Charles Wesley knowledge. And it, it kind of brought me back to, cool. uh, to a different version of me. Yeah. Michael, from a worship leading standpoint, um, what what are some of the things that you want people in the congregation? Because we're singing this on Sunday. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> what what do you want some people? What do you want the people to you know have in their hearts when they hear this song? Um, yeah, I think just how how deep of 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 an important fact it is um, that God has brought you second birth. Um, that he's he's offering you second birth, that no matter what you've done during the life that you've been given first here on on this earth, um, he's offering you a chance for newness. Um, he's offering you a chance for um, new life in him, second birth, um, and it's and and that life will be everlasting. Mm. Um, how profound that is! How much that really means to us as Christians. Um, without without Christ's birth, there is no second birth for us. Um, and so, yeah, my hope would be that, that as we sing it, um, that there can just be moments where a lyric will just, will just speak to you in a brand new, fresh way, um, where the Lord, you might allow the lyrics to, to go from just this, like I said, sing songy place into a place of real depth for you. Um, even though the song, the, the lyric may go by quickly, mm. you know, choose one, choose two of the lyrics that just really, um, really mean something to you. Um, and allow that to be your prayer. Allow that to be um, kind of a place where you go a little deeper than just the kind of surface level of singing the words to the to the very catchy tune. So, yeah. good. Anything else, guys, on Hark the Herald Angels Sing? I mean, we I, I would say like scratch the surface, but we've also been talking for an hour. So Yeah, I'll, I'll say one last thing, Please. which is that I think it's very helpful when singing a hymn to, to, um, to orient yourself by noticing who is being addressed in a hymn, hmm. which this changes from hymn to hymn. Uh, in this case, it says, Hark, the, uh, the herald angels sing. So hark is actually the command, uh, which is like, pay attention. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Right? Hey, look. Um, which means that you, the singer, are the person being addressed in this song. We compare that to like, say, holy, 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 where it's like, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and you're singing to God there, right? In this song, it's actually all sort of, um, you're singing to yourself. Um, and I think that helps orient some of the... Um, so with him singing in general, I think it's helpful to, to kind of notice that sort of pattern. But um, but you'll you know over and over, Charles Wesley's going to call you to take a certain attitude towards what he's doing and, and sort of to speak to your own heart and to speak to your own self. And I think if you go into this song with that mentality, which is like, how can I talk to myself a little bit here about yeah. about the glory of God and talk to myself about God? Um, it's a helpful way to orient yourself to the song. I think. Yeah, I think just one last thing mm -hmm. um, for me, I. I think that we have a lot of songs in our church right now in, in our repertoire that are that are really kind of emotionally moving musical songs. They, they musically move you emotionally. And I think that, that that's great. That's a wonderful thing. I think the songs should move us emo emotionally. They should Absolutely. remind us of truth, right? Um, uh, they kind of the, the music kind of pierces through the, the the deadness of our hearts, right? But I think this this song um it's you just you approach it from a completely different place. The music is so sing-songy, and we've just sung it for many, many years. 
so much so that maybe the impact of what the music's actually doing might kind of fall roll off you a little bit. Um, and and it, and it can be as a church where our general diet is like musical songs, right? That's our general diet. I think my my urge to us would be stretch yourself, stretch yourself as we sing this to to find um, depth in in the theological kind of richness of this song, rather than waiting for the song to move you emotionally first. Hmm. I have a request. Uh, and this is my last thing, I promise. Uh, what, even to that point, what do we have to do to get somebody to come to St. Andrews and play that organ and do this song on that organ? Oh, wow. That, that, that is what I want to see happen. If you're listening to this and you play the organ, Andrew will pay you $50? Sure. 50, yeah. Andrew will pay you $50 to come. Um, I want to end talk uh, with a John Wesley quote that I love. Uh, kind of, Andrew, to your point, there's a Wesleyan Methodist instruction manual for worship. It's called directions for singing 1761, John Wesley. Um, and, and this is, this is what you were just talking about. And this is what I hope we have in our hearts and in our minds as we sing a song like this or sing any other worship songs. This is, I, I love this. This is, if you've ever wondered how to sing a worship song, this is, this is the instruction manual. It says this quote, above all sing spiritually, have an eye to God in every word you sing. Aim at pleasing him more than yourself or any other creature. In order to do this, attend strictly to the sense of what you sing and see that your heart is not carried away with the sound, but offered to God continually. So shall your singing be such as the Lord will approve here and reward you when he cometh in the clouds of heaven. Attend your own heart. Think about what you're actually singing. And just remember, man, what you're actually singing. It's profound and this so song is profound i'm very excited for sunday and you're gonna do i think you said glockenspiel kind of banjo <laughs> version i don't think so it's gonna be nuts and are you gonna sing the other two verses you know what i i'm gonna have to consider that oh let's do it pot so exclusive good. So good. yeah we, we love have it. all of, we have these two verses just sitting there in the treasure box in church <laughs> ready to be sung we and can, you can pull, pull them out and out. sing them anytime and think about it like this, man. We all have different ways that this song is connected with us. There's going to be someone on Sunday who doesn't listen to the podcast. I mean, I can't imagine that's being who? true. Yeah, right? Who? Let's find out and tell them. There are dozens Let's of people listening. who listen to this podcast. But they're going to have just be at church, hear Hark the Herald Angels sing, a song they've sung a million times, and you're going to throw in those other two verses. A facing Adam, the, the bruising the heel inside, of, bruising the head inside of us. I mean, come on. Mm. There, there so might good. be a life-changing moment for someone this Sunday if you pull out these two verses. I think you should do it. Andrew thinks you should do it, and that's good enough for me. You know, I think the life-changing doesn't come from me choosing the lyrics. I think it comes from Jesus, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit, just okay. doing a work in people's hearts. Way to, way to do that. So, <laughs> I think it comes from the lyrics. I think it does. <laughs> well, he helps. God helps the lyrics, right? It's like a, a little partnership. Anyway, thank you guys. Thank you, Andrew, for coming hey, coming by. Thanks. Really Appreciate fun to have you. Uh, it was fun to have you. You know, you you introduced this hymn to me years ago, and so it's fun to have you on here. And now we'll never talk again or listen to this hymn. This is right. this was a conclusion moment. Yeah. Our our find a new one now. Our relationship via this song has been inaugurated. It's over. Yeah. It's done. Uh, Michael, next week, joy to the world. Joy to the world. Well, the big one. We're excited about that. All right. Thanks for listening and uh, Merry Christmas. 